listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast, brought to you by Real Geese Decoys, the most technological advanced silhouette decoys on the market, and Vortex Canada, the force of optics. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Union 0430. I'd give you the episode number, but I really don't have a clue what one we're on, what one we're running right now. I think it's like 65 or 66. Um, either way, we have Waterfowl Royalty with us tonight, and uh, and that's not a small small feat or uh, not being... I don't, I don't even know the word I'm fucking looking for here right now. I'm trying to get a word out, and it's probably got three syllables, and I can't get it out. But we've got... Sean Stahl with us tonight. And for anybody that's in the waterfowling world, you know the name. Um, you've been following him. You and and we'll get into it, but he really has been a pioneer of, of the way um a lot of this goose hunting has been happening up close north to the border, and we'll get into that. Um, Sean doesn't know it, but I listened to an interview that he had done not very long ago where he started talking about when he was 12 years old and, and all this stuff. So I got all kinds of information on him. Um, and now we'll talk about that. But as usual, we'll kick off with introduction of the boys. Merck is just outside the nation's capital. Um, Phil only got another two weeks left and he's in Oshawa and then he'll be moving out to the country. Ryan's down in Nova Scotia. Dave is doing his part in trying to become a firefighter. Um, he can't be a cop like Phil, so he figured uh, the next best thing to be a firefighter. So uh, so he's doing his firefighter training. I'm in Kingston, Ontario. And Sean Stahl coming to us from a hotel in upstate Michigan, getting ready for the national dog trial this weekend. Sean, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, it really is like when I when I sent you that message last week, I was like, ah, I'm going to put a stab out here and just see if Sean would come on the show. And it was like two minutes and you're like, yeah, man, I'd be honored to come on the show. So I, I sent I sent the boys a message and I was like, hey, Ryan, guess who's coming on the show? And he was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, Sean Stone. And he was like, holy shit, because we really didn't you know, we know you're a busy man. You're all over the place. Um, so. Um, I alluded to to it a bit that you're in Michigan right now, um, getting yeah. ready for the the national trials. Um, well, we'll, field trial this weekend, but the national will be coming up here. Oh, sorry, for, yeah, right. Yeah, but no, man, I, I I appreciate the offer. I mean, I love talking waterfowl and ducks, dogs, geese, anything with anybody anywhere. And I think the waterfowl community. I mean, you said a lot of cool things about me, but I mean, I. I'm no different than anybody else. Put my pants on one leg at a time, get up, go scouting, try my best. Sometimes it works. Unfortunately, uh, and get to work in the industry. But other than that, I'm just like the next guy. I'm down the line or next year in the bingo line at the lottery. So yeah, enjoy it. Um, boys, is, is that my internet that's uh, being hotel internet? Oh, it's holding. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so, so yeah. So just for anybody that missed what, what Sean was saying, just a regular dude. Um, he's been around for a long time and we're going to dive into some of the stuff. Um, like I said, I, I've done some research on Sean and this is one thing. And, and I think I may be jumping the gun here 
but I want you to explain this and put it into your own words for Sean, because we've sort of kind of touched on this subject in the past on this show. But when I heard you say it the other day, um, it really, it really sounded cool. So the thing that you said was that the waterfowling world is not an evolution. It's a revolution. Okay. And, and I really, and when I got to thinking about what you were saying and, and here I am wearing my, my real geese hat now, and, and you had even brought that up when you were talking about it. Um, you know, what, Everything is starting to shift back now, it seems, to, to what those early, those early tactics that, that you say that you and your friends use um, in, in southern Michigan way back, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I say this all the time. These birds don't go to high school, college, they have school hard knocks. They learn. They get conditioned smart to the things that we do on a daily basis. I mean, you talk to most hunters and you say, what's the first thing you do and see a flock of geese? Well, call or flag. Um, you know, and that's condition conditioning these birds. It's making them educated to what we do on a daily basis and how we hunt also. The type of decoys, uh, the type of blinds, you know, layout blinds were effective for the last 10 or 15 years. And now they're not as effective unless you're hunting an edge or something like that. And stand up A-frame panel blind style blinds are coming back in. So what I mean by the it's the revolution and not the evolution, the evolution would mean that it's continually changing and progressing up and up. Revolution means that there's this wheel and what we used 20, 30 years ago is coming back in style. I mean, it's kind of like fashion in in the world here. You know, you look around and you see all these mullets flowing and I'd grow one if I could, but I can't, so I won't. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, they're coming back in. So it's the same thing, these old tools that we haven't used, these birds have not been, been exposed to and educated to are now working you know the flute calls the a-frames the silhouette decoys just different things that we're doing different tactics and it's working and the stuff that we've been using forever or for i say forever but for the last five or ten years is now starting to get tougher and tougher to use and that's what i mean by the the revolution and not the evolution you you sort of uh well not sort of you did you alluded to this flute just uh, going back to the flute calls and you just, if, mem- if, if I'm correct, you just uh, introduced what the stalls calls, right? You just introduced a, a flute call that you that you've just got on the go, right? Mm-hmm. We got that out there and that's something, you know, so I, I cut my teeth when I first started in the call and it was the old resident cavity style calls. You know, I had a Ken Martin and Ult 800, the old Heronk, and quickly advanced to, I started seeing this video out there, Tim Grounds, uh, and man, Tim Grounds blowing his short read and Sean Man blowing his uh, Eastern Shoreman and decided I wanted to get active and involved with that. But, from a hunting standpoint, I felt short read was more beneficial in the field. And then I started blowing a short read, picked up a half read, got good on it. Everybody says at the public area, like, you need to call a contest, call a contest. Well, at the time, contests were being won by flutes, but people were starting to hunt with the short reads. So I kind of went in at, you know, I, was, I started the hunting styles 
with the, with the resonant cavity, went into the short reeds, but in contest, I started with a flute. So I had that, you know, that background of blowing a flute and knew what I really wanted and the types of sounds that I wanted to be able to produce. And I wanted to call. So when, when guys first started trying to learn to blow a short reed, they had their, the mechanics of blowing a flute. And the recipe, I always tell everybody, the recipe is the same. It's the same ingredients, forward air pressure, back pressure, mouth cavity size, that kind of thing. But the ingredients, I should say, the ingredients are the same. The recipe is different. It's how you present that air. It's how you use the back pressure in your hands that's different between a flute and a short but you could give a kid a short and 15 staff they figured out so i wanted to come up with a flute that you could blow it the old traditional way with the old twit 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 mechanics and all and i also wanted to be able to blow like you would a short read so i started trying to back um, and relearn that old tool that'll pick it up real quick sean like you uh you kind of talked about tim grounds and all that and you're kind of like the goose guru with R&T now kind of that kind of just kind of evolved into that position like how did you kind of like grow into that position how did you kind of like get in with uh, John and Butch and like can you talk about how that relationship developed over the years it was probably I man I just uh, this 15 years ago I was kind of doing my own thing um I was a manufacturing engineer for many years and uh, through one of the big three office furniture manufacturers and it was during a period of uh, economic downturn. And they ended up shutting down four plants, laid off like 3,400 of us. So I kind of went and bounced around a little bit in the outdoor industry, did some uh, product engineering stuff, and then bought some cameras, started film and doing some stuff of my own, helping some other people with calls. And we were working some shows and it was when Sportsman's Warehouse was real big and they were flying around doing different shows around the country and got pretty close with John and Jim and um, a couple of the other folks there at Rich and Tone I'd, I'd known forever anyway. Um, like I said before when we were talking, the industry is not that big. It's it's pretty small and everybody mm-hmm. either knows somebody or they know somebody that can call it and know that person. So we just hit it off and, and they're like, yeah, man, you know, we got this TV show and we do the duck stuff. We like to grow the, gro- grow the goose side and what it's about, you know, this and that. And from there, it's history. And they're pretty close to 15 years of mine, I guess. And, and the Rich and Tone uh, uh, RN TV, that's 15 seasons, right? That we're, yeah, we're in our 16th now. We've been, we've been kicking it a wall, that's for sure. Wow. And we are up there now on Wild TV. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting that now, um, and and our our wild TV is starting to pick up some of those those syndicated shows now, so we're starting to get them. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I wanted to um, I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, you had mentioned that you were banging around for about fifteen years, and you were you were pretty much doing everything right. You, you were you were into a little bit of everything, and and one thing that we're noticing a lot is that we see a lot of these. Uh, I I don't know why or or how it happened, but it seems like everybody is in a rush to to go from zero to hero now, um, and it just seems that and and I don't know if it's just because of 
the the social media world or or what it is, but people don't seem to want to to cut their teeth and and do the hard work anymore. They just want to see it happen for them as an overnight success. And if it doesn't happen for them overnight, well, then they quit and they and they give up and they they move on and try to find uh, another avenue. Like what what's your and I'm sure you must come across a ton of ton of people um what's your advice to like anybody that's getting into the industry now and and are expecting to become the you know the next um uh robertson family you know what i mean well uh, there's a there's a lot to what you just that question you just asked there's different aspects of why it's you know well we've got a society and in it's it's I see it in Canada. I see it in the U.S. It's just, I mean, the, the people where we want instant gratification, and we've also been accustomed. We've got a, a a group of the next generation, we'll call it, is coming up where they've been kind of handed a lot of things and given things and told they can do anything they want to be, anything they want to be, and do this and just handed stuff and never taught how to work for anything. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, a lot of times when they get into something and they, they meet uh, a dead end or something and they'll just turn around and go the other way instead of forcing their way through it and trying to figure it out and, and working hard and trying to win. We've lost, our societies have lost kind of the will to win. Mm-hmm. I would, if that's the way to put it, you and yeah. I have talked about that with, with contests and people want, you know, wanting to come out. People don't really want to they've been given ribbons their whole, you know, the certain generation have been given ribbons for everything, um, but never had to win anything. Yeah. Um, and when things get hard to quit. So um, that's one aspect of it. The other thing is social media is created mm. this. People are, are hunting for the gram, the Instagram. You're in a blind and, and especially with the younger generation when you, you're calling birds, you look in, you just kind of sit back, look down, and what do you see? I mean, you see a phone sticking up, video cam, you know, camera sticking out. And like, are you actually here to hunt or are you here to record it so everybody else can see it? And and that's the hard part with what I do is we're we're filming, you know, we're doing it for TV and we're doing it promote products and everything. Um, and I go with that all the time because I still want what we're producing to be real, yeah. be not not say we, we try not to do any of the, the fake reenactments that kind of stuff i want it to be exactly how it happened um and present it to the, the folks <laughs> out there and it's just it, i don't i don't like where we're going with a lot of things and i don't know if we can stop it either but i don't know if that answered the whole question there's there's so many parts to that if you yes want. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 sorry. No, but you did. You 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 hammered onto it. I guess the only thing left that, that to what my question was would be any advice that you could give. But I think you answered that when you said, "Listen, like, don't don't when you when you reach that dead end, don't give up." And I think that's that's the best advice. Yeah, and you know, like I've said, I've said this. I keep hammering again. This is a small small industry, and. I mean, you're looking at nine, eight hundred to nine hundred thousand in the U.S. and Canada. It's what a hundred and fifty-ish, maybe. Yeah. Tops. So maybe a million. You're looking at a, a million people uh, in the that buy or hunt or you know get active in, into the into the waterfowling. 
So if somebody, you know, I get asked all the time, I want to do what you do. I want to work in the outdoor, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, okay. How many TV shows are out there? How many of this, you know what I mean? So you're not dealing with a lot and trying to get, you know, your foothold in there. They want to be that person. They want to be that front person. They want to be, you know, that. And I just got lucky, you know, in the timing that I got into it, I got lucky. I won a, won a bunch of goose calling contests, had some, my name notoriety. It helped me out, bought some cameras, started out. It's harder and harder to make that, take that route anymore. And I tell people, if, if you really want to work in the outdoor industry and you want to, you have to be able to provide some value. What is your value? Just be able to call. Um, you have to A, be a, you know, have an outgoing personality where people want to engage with you, but you also need a skill set. And I tell people, if you really want in this industry, go to school and get a degree in marketing, accounting, mm-hmm. something, social media, something that gives you a value, makes you a valuable asset to a company and want, you know, them to hire you or for you to be able to start out on your own and your own business venture um, to be able to have something that you can utilize, not yeah. just being able to, not just being able to set up decoys and blogs, that just, that doesn't work anymore. Well, not, not so, that. Oh, sorry. When people see me, you know, they see me on TV, they see pictures of me on social media, but they, what they don't see is sitting behind, you know, a desk editing, uh, making phone calls, traveling around, working shows. I mean, it's a relentless job. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love what I'm doing, but it's a 10 to 12, 14 hour day job, pretty much months out of the year and most of the time seven days a week so you have to really love what you're doing and you have to have a family that will also um stick with you because it's not it's not an easy uh um an easy career for family life i mean you see so many of my peers um getting divorced um you know troubled marriage kids uh you know not seeing their kids and stuff so it's being able to balance that workload and still be you know a husband and a father and a, a family member too yeah 100 percent, and 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 i'm glad that you shed some light onto that because um i think that that's the one of the biggest disconnects that people have is is i don't think they they quite realize and and by no means am i comparing myself or or us to to what you're doing but i don't think anybody quite understands the amount of work and and the time away from home that in order to carve, uh, carve a, a, a profession in this world, what it takes in order to pull that off. Yeah, I probably spend on the road 365 days a year. I'm probably gone 125 to 150 days on the road, staying in a hotel or lodge or camper or something, or sometimes sleeping in a truck. Uh, and, and you wouldn't change it for the world. I love it. I love it. I want to, I want to switch gears. I want to go back to this. I want to, I, because it, it was so funny when I heard you say, I shot my first deer at 12 and then deer hunting was over. You wanted something else to do. And your old man said, there's a pond down the road. Here's some old deeks go down and, uh, and, and start, and start hunting birds and you shot a teal and then the rest is history, as they say, right? Yep, yep. I old paper mache decoys. I still have those, <laughs> and uh, and didn't have, didn't have any weights, so I had to get in his uh, 
nice tool bin and get some, I uh, got a couple old spark plugs, some real heavy duty bolts and tied them on there and made them weights and kind of threw them out from shore and had to use a stick to pull them back in and throw rocks for my, for my lab and Springer to go out there and get the ducks. So that was a long time ago, but everybody's, everybody's uh, fire gets lit somewhere or another. And that, that was, that was mine. It was just, it's hard to say, you know, why you're, why you like what you like, but it just, us waterfallers just generally share a, a, a passion for it. That's for dang sure. Yeah. You were probably shooting lead shot back then too. That was, you know, when I first got into it. So what was weird is you could shoot, you could shoot lead, but they were phasing steel shot in and they were doing it by County based on a presumed harvest in our state, at least in our County, Van Buren County, you could still shoot lead, but in Allegan County where all the public land, public waterfowling, the lottery stuff was, was steel. So it was kind of that, that, uh, that switching point there. And then the first time that I went to Maranatha, mm. first time I went to Canada, you still could shoot, I want to say it was sometime mid nineties. You could still shoot lead as long as you weren't within, I think it was, it was like 500 meters or a thousand meters from a named body of water. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we bought a, I found some cases, of uh, three inch copper plated BBs, two ounce. And boy, that was, <laughs> that was a kicker. <laughs> What I find what I find funny though is I look at some of the farm properties that I hunt and like go out in the fields, you know, whether it's cut corn, cut beans, whatever the case may be, you know, you're out there, you're pounding away on ducks and geese, you gotta shoot non-toxic, bismuth, steel, whatever you're running. But I can go back the next day and kick the fence rows for bunnies yeah. and shoot yeah. Same field. Yeah. Same field. Hey, just put that with many of the things going on in the world that we just scratch your head and go WTF. Yep. WTF. Yeah. yeah. That's what happens when you let politicians run the joint, right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Common sense goes out the window. Yeah. As my dad would say, common sense is not so common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop this on us right oh. now and we're going to talk about it. I'm innocent. Didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I know you didn't do it. Um, actually, we'll wait until Ryan gets gets back on because I know he's probably going to have something to say about it. But now I, I want to switch. As a segue to that. Yeah. You were talking about doing things for the gram. Looking, this is in 2018. Me and Ryan and Damien were sitting in a blind. <laughs> and, and I went to uh, take a selfie of the three of us. You can yeah. see Ryan's eyes right there, and he's saying, I fucking knew it, fucking selfies. Yeah. And two black ducks were coming in right behind the phone. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I took the picture. Yeah, he, ch- he, chewed us, he chewed us out. He was like, you two are getting your pictures, and here's two black ducks working us. And, uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't going to – We did get them, yeah. Um, but – I want to I wanted to switch now to dog training. Like you said, you're you're at a field trial this week, and you're going to do the open and the amateur. Um, we've got the Canadian Nationals starting on Monday in Brighton, Ontario, um, down the road, and and you'll get in. So, um, here here's something that I I don't think I've ever asked anybody when it comes to uh, to dog training, 
Um, but you are a very seasoned hunter, um, spend a lot of time hunting. Is, is there a, is there a downfall to being just a hunt test guy or just a, a, a field trial guy? Like, and, and the reason why I say it is because I've heard dog owners say, I don't need my dog to run 400 yards. I, he, he's just, he's with me. So, and, and I, I hear that argument and, and I know that I, I'm not the best shot and sometimes I get cripples and sometimes I need my dog to run 400 yards. What, what's your, what's your, your stance on that, Sean? You know, I hear that all the time. I've got buddy. I don't need a field trial dog. Well, why are you calling me to go hunting to take my dog? And go <laughs> You know, I mean, when it goes to the, some of the point is, well, there's, there's twofold. Some people just don't know and understand um, what a dog at that level is capable of doing mm-hmm. and why they need it. And then other people just don't want to spend the time, you know, involved time or money mm-hmm. uh, involved in getting mm-hmm. to that level. But when people say, you know, I don't want a field trial dog. Well, I just cringe inside because, yeah, you really do. Because if somebody were to give you one and you were to hunt with it, you would love it. Um, and not that that dog wouldn't try to break or do anything stupid, but that dog has the tools built into it to be able to address stuff like breaking and, and whatnot and get on them and them understand it. But they also have the tools to be able to be the best conservation um, tool that you could have in your bag of tricks to be able to get those birds. I mean, as long as my dog can see or hear me, I can handle them as far as, as he'll go. Um, and that puts those miles on my feet. Uh, it makes you legal because I mean, the laws written here in the States, at least, if you shoot a bird, you have to make an immediate reasonable attempt to retrieve mm-hmm. that bird and reduce it to bag, which means like shoot a deer with an arrow and let it sit overnight. You can't do that. With a waterfall, you have to immediately go get it. And if that means you don't have a dog capable of doing that, that means you got to strap on your track shoes and go at it. And it's going to take you a whole lot longer than it's going to take my dog to do it. Um, you know, and I hear the thing, you don't need a dog to hunt in a field. Okay. Um, you might not only hunting two or three times a year hunting by yourself. And that, that may be, you know, that person saying that, but when we're hunting four to six guys and you're shooting birds and invariably something's going to get wingtip, something's going to get crippled, something's going to sail out there four, five, 600 yards. That's when you need that dog. I don't need my dog to pick up everything right in the decoys. You know, when we're filming for filming purposes, trying to get dog work. We shoot into a bunch of birds. Okay. Everybody's done. Safeties are on. Send the dog. He'll pick up a bird real close. A lot of times though, with my dog, the older he gets, the more seasons he gets, he'll run by cripples and go get one that he sees sailed through 400 yards. He's learned to watch those. And that's the birds that I really want him to get anyway. Um, and when, once he gets out there and gets that bird, then I send everybody out of the line and they pick it up. But I saw it the other day. We were hunting in the early season and we shot into a bunch of birds, just three of us hunting. And it's right, right around the corner, the neighbor shot into him. We had a cripple out there, and it was probably about 250. And there was another one at about 125 yards. It was just the line. I said his name, said Carl. He took off going for that long bird. And in the process, the shorter bird ran diagonal to him and actually ran into Carl 
Carl ran over and tripped him, stumbled, the bird went up in the air, and he kept going and got that long bird. Wow. Now, that, that's just, you know, him doing what he's supposed to do uh, and knew he could come back and get that short bird underneath after the fact. But even running into it didn't phase him, didn't stop him. He just kept going that's, that's, about a, as, that's about as a poison bird as you get for a poison bird. <laughs> yeah. 100%. What's that? I said, that's about a, as good as a poison bird as you can get for a poison oh, bird right there. I, I thought I was filming it on my phone. Here I am doing it for the gram, right? <laughs> I thought I was, but man, it would have been so, because that's just one thing I, you know, I tell people about running poison birds and in, you know, <laughs> even on a cripple, you've got that bird, that short bird, 60 yards out there and they see it flopping around and they want to go get it. But no, there's that one 300 yards out there that I really want you to so you hit, hit a whistle and handle them. So it was a piece of footage that I just really wanted to have, but I've got it up here, but that's good as it's going to get. But you, a well-trained retriever is, is as good as your best buddy in the blind, if not better. Um, they're good comrades and they, they make a hunt go real smooth. And conversely, we've all hunted with those dogs that you really <laughs> wish your buddy wouldn't have brought. And you're like, yep. but, oh boy. Have we ever. In, in, in fairness, as, boy, as much as, yeah. in fairness, as, as great as it is running, you know, a, a super highly trained hunting dog, there's nothing funnier than watching your idiot friends run around a cornfield with a gun, tripping over corn stalks, tracing down a cripple. Yep. Yep. Fetch it up. Oh, good boy. Such a good boy. You know, and everybody start, you know, there's people new and they don't, they don't know and just getting out. And I always tell them, get involved with a local uh, hunt test group, mm -hmm. uh, find a local trainer, find a field Get out there and see what these dogs are capable of. Learn what it is and then find the resources, whether you put it with a dog trainer, you buy videos, read books, uh, Google, um, go throw birds for for these people that are training their dogs and, and get immerse yourself with it. And your first dog's probably not going to be as good as your last dog. Um, my first dog, Deuce, man, I'd love to have him back. And he was as good as uh, – he's as good a hunting dog as, as I've ever been around. But – I thank goodness he was forgiving my training methods. I didn't know what I was doing. Wasn't following the system. We were, you know, we taught him to mark by throwing orange bumpers 150 yards away in waist high grass. Um, I now know that you throw <laughs> short marks in short yeah. green grass with white, big white bumpers to teach them how to mark, you know, teach yeah. them to use their eyes first and nose. they can learn to use their nose real easy. That's something they're born with, but yeah. So I mean, I'll just start, start out get a dog start out and set your standards high yeah and and i think the one thing that i and and i've only owned this is my first hunting dog that i've owned right so so i don't have a, a whole ton of of experience when it comes to dogs but um i always found it funny when, when you talk about when you talk about dogs and and fellas will say um well like i'm not spending that kind of money on a dog but yet they'll go spend you know, $2,000 on a new shotgun and the shotgun yeah. and I get it. You need the shotgun to shoot the birds, but the dog is what does all of the work. And I don't understand how you can't invest into the thing that does all of the labor 
everything that's, you know, that's, that's tiring. Um, it, it just, it was one of those things that I could now, now being a dog owner, I, I, I guess I could say those things, but, um, one time I, I just, I don't know. I just, just couldn't get my head wrapped around it. I want I did want to bring up that video that did surface. We spoke about it uh, a little bit last week. Um, but that video that, that surface and, and Phil is, Phil has said this a number of times, Sean, and you and you said it just then that when you guys are out hunting and, and a volley of birds come in, everybody's done shooting, guns go on safe, and then the dog, and then the dog goes out and and, and goes to work, right? But yet we see this video um two weeks ago, and how this dog wasn't shot is it, it, just <laughs> mind-boggling to me. And this is and, and this is from a person who, um, I guess for all intents and purposes, is somewhat of, a, of an ambassador for the sport. And this is the videos that he's, that he's putting out on, on social media. And, and to me, it's given the absolute wrong message on how you're hunting with a dog. You know, some of that too, I, I agree. But some of that is the Howard Stern shock value. Throw it out there, get people talking, and people mm. um, go to your and more views, more money. You know that kind of thing. Oh, so okay. Yeah, you know, there's some, there's some of that. Um, I can't, I can't understand how they would look at that and know that that's not right. That what they did to that animal. Um, and that animal doesn't know that it's doing anything wrong. It probably wasn't trained um, to be steady, but I mean, you look at the rule book and, and the, the hunt tests and the field trials we run, but, and, and the steady dog is what we, what we seek, what we're what's mm-hmm. sought after. But yeah, uh, you know, this, this is a sore subject for me. I, I just, I don't get it. Um, we teach gun safety, never point your gun at anything you don't intend to, to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, gun like it's loaded and, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know the video we're talking about, but flock of geese come in and they're literally landing in the decoys. Call the shot. The dog is darn near catching birds um, before they're getting shot. And guys are shooting their guns. And, you know, they can argue that the camera angles this and that, but uh, the dog was right there. Um, and it's it's not safe. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we want to go out and have fun. You know, it's the size of the pile shouldn't matter. Um, we put too much emphasis on that, on that hero shot at the end of the hunt, you know, doing it for the gram. Look how many I got, you know, um, it should be about the laughs and the memories. And the last thing you want is a bad memory of somebody's dog getting shot. And I'm sure, um, if we all talk long enough, we'll know somebody that knows somebody or has seen a dog get shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not real. Um, it's, it, it can make a hunt go sour pretty fast. And, you know, if, uh, if that's, if somebody that I'm on a hunt with does that, I'll, I'll quit hunting. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to have it. It's, it's something we shouldn't show. It's something that if you're as a brand ambassador, you should hold yourself to a higher standard. Maybe, you know, he doesn't know a lot about dogs. Um, and maybe it's an education standpoint and maybe that's what he needs. Um, Maybe they're doing it for the shock value. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, I, I feel bad for the dog. Um, it shouldn't be put in that position. And I, you know, I talked to people too about, so the panel blind that Tangle Free has, I, I designed that, that 
um, product. It's, a, it's something I'd been using since the mid-90s and then kind of put it on the shelf when layout blinds came out and started getting good. And then when layout blinds got tough, I kind of got it back out and refined it a little bit and gave it to Tangle Free to mass produce. And one of the things that, you know, people, when they were testing out, they're like, hey, this would be great if we had a dog door in here. Dog door right here would be great. And I said, no, absolutely not. And they're like, why, why not? And I said, well, for starters, we don't want to encourage the practice of having a dog, however well-trained it is, in a blind full of shotguns leaning up. We just don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, a dog mm-hmm. come in, run down one side of the blind to the other, knocks guns down, guns go off, somebody gets shot, boom. It's a safety deal. They make dog blinds. Dogs need to be in their own spot, in their own space, away from the blind, off to the side. I tell people so that if they do creep, if they do kind of come out of the blind a little bit, they're still in an area. It's not good. I don't don't say it's a good thing, but I still have a safety zone or buffer zone where I can correct the dog and it's never in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And it's also in an area where they can they can see all the birds go down and mark. You know, some one of the best like layout blind hunting, I would always put the dog about 10 yards behind, five to 10 yards behind us, give him that little buffer zone if he did creep a little bit, but also so if you're in a line of you know people and you start shooting the birds, you kind of know what you shot. Maybe the guy next to you shot. You have no idea what the guy on down the line shot. But if you step back five yards, you can see everything. You can see mm-hmm. the whole big picture. So I like to get them there. And the next thing I told the guys, you know, if you've cut in a hole in the blind, we all know, I mean, this uh, A-frame panel blind style blind. If you cut a hole in that blind, that dog is literally right down below you. And mm-hmm. you come out and shoot gun is right over their head and they can't tell you they don't tell you when they're hurt they don't tell you when they're when their bells rung but you know as well as i do when your buddy doesn't shoot his lane he just swings that muzzle just a little bit further to the left or the right you're hearing and they're going to do that to the dog and it's going to affect their hearing long term yeah and it's just from a safety standpoint i just i don't i don't agree with putting a dog, you know, there or shooting over him, dog creeps out. You know, if you put it in a blind like that, if he does take a step or two out, boy, he's really in arm's way. So, it, yeah, it, of course, y'all can go on too. I've, I've hunted out of, you, out of an A-frame. I used to own one. I now own two panel blinds, thanks to you. Um, but I've <laughs> oh, like the, the versatility of the panels is like next level. Like I said, I've said this on the show several times. Like I've got two panels. You can run them back to back as like a quote unquote a frame a frame style. Mm-hmm. You can run two of them side by each, like in a fence row. You can run five, <laughs> six guys. The, the versatility is amazing. But I've seen, I've hunted with guys running in an a frame with the dog in the a frame, and I've watched that whole blind go fucking ass over tea kettle. It's scary. Yeah, it's scary, yeah. and it's it's up to us. You know, it's up to people to talk about it and get it out there and show people. You know, some of it's you'd think that that would be common sense, but like you said, common sense isn't so common. But so it's up to it's up to people to talk about that stuff and teach the new people and teach even the old dogs that are trying to do this stuff. <clears throat> you know, hey, there's there's a better way, there's a right way, there's a safe way. Like it, when, it, like even like even now, like I run the, the two panels, I've got. Um, the tangle free dog blind, mm-hmm. and either it'll get sit directly behind the a frame or directly behind the panels, depending on the situation. Either it'll get directly behind the panels, or it'll get put off to the side somewhere where you know it's a good spot where you know my dog can see the playing field. It can watch the marks. Yeah. 
and so on. And he's over there. And like you said, if he creeps out, does whatever, or the, like the, the old boy, he's nine and a half now, so he can get away with murder and I won't give a shit. But um, <laughs> yeah. he, he, he's still a puppy at heart. But you know, he gets put off to the side and probably the first one or two hunts the season, he'll get out there and he'll try to be catching chickens out of the sky. Yeah. But generally, him, deal. Yep. Yeah, him and I will sit down. We'll have a little mono a doggo. Yep, love to have. Like, do you want to go home today? <laughs> stay in your kennel and from that point on throughout the season he you know he smartens up he's okay i, I got excited dad you know it's start yep. of the season but they're off in a safe direction they can watch the playing field watch the kill hole they can see the birds mark and then when you know the show's over put the guns down i'll go out handle them okay yeah you know pick up your chickens and like like you mentioned i'll generally have guys pick up the close ones he will bypass six dead birds to smash that cripple yeah, 150, 200 yards. Does not I care about the dead ones. Every time I see a dog do that, I mean, it's just, they're doing what they love to do, man. Yeah. Hmm. So, it, it, you, would, you did a post in, uh, on Facebook a couple of years back. It, it went viral within the waterfowling community about this, about you had just basically got, it was, it was the most refreshing thing I had seen in a long time. Um, you just kind of got fed up of watching all these videos on YouTube of, of dogs breaking and people like shooting over dogs and stuff like this. And it was just, it was, it was, yeah. And for me to like, as uh, we're all dog guys on the podcast here, but for me, it was the most refreshing thing to see somebody who had a following like this to stand up and who was the true dog handler to stand up and say, look, enough is enough. If, if you're a young person getting into this game and you want a dog, I'm like, there's, there's other, what, you, you know, that, that exactly the young people getting into it and they see this and they yeah. think that's normal. You know, exactly. Yeah. Dog breaking and catching people shoot. They think that's normal and it's not, I mean, that's, no. it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I still cringe thinking about it. Sean, I wanted to, I wanted to go back. So, so now, you know, you, you've, you touched on the fact that, um, you designed this panel blind, um, tangle free, um, came out mass produced it. So I I'm from the extreme East coast of Canada and uh, Newfoundland on this Island where, um, nobody wore camo, nobody had goose calls. It was, it was pond hopping. Uh, it was jumping water, trying to get your bird, all this stuff. So when, when I joined the military and, and, got hooked up with guys like uh, Mark and Ryan and Phil and, and started hunting up here. So the layout blind. So I had never known that the A-frame and the panel blind even existed. I had never seen this thing ever in my life. All I knew was, yeah, yep. all I knew was, was the layout blind. And I can remember going to a Delta waterfowl dinner and the tangle free panel blinds were up and it was like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, how has this not been thought of before? But, you know, listening to you, like this was, this was stuff that you would use 20 years ago. And then it got put on the, on the, on the shelf because, you know, you went to, you went to layout blinds. And so, you know, feel free to, to, to tell us, you know, tell us about what tangle free is doing and, and, and how, and how tangle free is, is, is part of this revolution and, and starting to bring what's old is new 
back into back into the repertoire of, of the waterfowler. Well, Tango Free is a partner of, of RMTV, Rich and Tone. Um, they've been a, a great partner. And that's one of the reasons why we came on board with them. They wanted, they wanted that input of what can we do to take this to the next level. They were willing, you know, willing to work and try to come up with these new things. And um, they're a great partner to do that with. Uh, very willing, very eager. Uh, and they want to be an innovator in the outdoor industry. Yeah, no, that, that those, the, I can still remember when those panel blinds and I, and, and they came out not to fade and fellas were just. But like, I still, I still, to this day, you know, it's, it's kind of with this, you know, silhouette, 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 don't need full bodies. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. um, panel, panel blind, panel blind, don't need layout blinds. Yes, you do. You still need them. They're still tools. They still have their place. That's what they all are is tools. And I, that's, I, go back to this all the time my uh my trailer my goose trailer is my tool crib it's my toolbox it's like that that tool crib that you pull on a job site uh you don't necessarily get every tool out for every job mm -hmm. but you have the right for the mm -hmm. right job if you need a if you need a phillips screwdriver you've got it if you need a jackhammer you get it out you know if you need a 7 sixteenths, it's in there um, or if you're from Canada and you need a 10 millimeter, it's in there. You, you'll never find, you'll never find <laughs> you're a find, 10 mil. Yeah, you'll never oh, find man, it. The no. 10 mil is always, it's always true. Freeway Buffalo. So <laughs> it's, don't, don't get rid of these things. You still can use them. There's still a time to play for them. Um, I like silhouettes. I've, I've hunted with them back in the, in the 90s when they were real popular back then, and I loved them, but I knew their shortcomings, and their shortcomings were always them – bright sunshiny days when the geese had to approach with the sun at their back going into the decoys and there was a half hour to 45 minutes in that morning when them things shined like just mirrors out there and the birds wouldn't get near them uh, i knew to you know have the sun at your back um so that they had to look into the sun if you were going to use them or use full bodies or wait till cloudy days and it's the same rules apply today um with those things so they don't work every day, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. They have their purpose. And when you use them for their purpose, they work very great, you know, very good. So that's why I say have a little bit of everything in your, in your toolbox. But in that said, you know, it's kind of like with calling. Um, it's great to have, be able to make a million and one notes on your call, but if you're not making the right notes at the right time, what's it really matter? You better off knowing two or three notes and doing, it's all about, you know, pitch timing and cadence, making the right note at the right time and in the right pitch. And it is the, um, you know, being able to make a million and one notes. It's the same thing with tools. You can have all the right tools, but if you don't know, or you can have all of the tools, but if you don't know when to bring out the correct one, it could be just as disadvantage, be just as big of a disadvantage as, you know, as anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, um, I know you are extremely busy and I know you've got a ton on your plate and, and I really don't want to take up all of your evening. We're getting close to that 60 minute mark. Um, so I'm boring you. Is that what it is? Buddy, I can oh, stay on here impressive. all night long and just keep asking you questions and you're just going to get fed up with me. But if you want me to keep going and, and you say, all right. If you guys want to do that, this is a hit and we like it and you want to do this again or 10 more times, let's do it. 
but it, sure. it, that means the world to uh, means the world to me and, and to the boys, I'm sure, because we'd love to be able to, to pick your brain more. Yeah. Um, I would love while you're on your cross, cross Canada tour that to be able to have a coffee with you and just shake your hand. Um, if that works out, that would be, uh, that would okay. be unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. sure. We will, we will stay in contact. Stay in contact. Sean, buddy, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I know the boys, um, we were all looking forward to having you on and being able to, to have a chance to chat with you and stuff like that. Um, it really, it really, really does say a lot about you, especially when um, a group of, uh, we always say we're just a group of, of friends. Um, we're not experts. We're, we're not professionals. We, do, we just love hunting birds and we love hanging out with one another. Um, I was professional, but every day I'm learning something new, trying something, trying something different. So it's, and some days I come out looking like a rookie. So um, <laughs> it's all good. It's funny how something with a with the brain the size of a pea can uh, can make you feel humble on on the best of days. And, and a lot of that, I think, we try to outthink something that has mm. a brain the size of your thumb. Really, yeah. you know, I mean. They're just, they're just trying to survive. They're trying to, you know, uh, find a mate. They're trying to eat food um, and make it to the next day. And sometimes we tend to outthink them. And that's what I tell people a lot of times, you know, they find an ex and they're like, you know, what do we do? You know, I call their buddy. Hey, how many decoys you got? How many, blah, blah, blah. And they, they show up out there. There's 300 birds in the field and they got 500 decoys. Um, you just outsmarted yourself um, <laughs> because the number you know, once, once you have an axe field, the number one thing you can do to mess that up is show up the next day. Um, because everything you do, every decision you make from there on in is going to affect the outcome of the field or of the hunt, you know. So um, sometimes we try to outthink them and it just works to the bird's advantage. But that's that's all part of it. That's the fun yeah, part. Absolutely. That's the cat and mouse deal. That's why we get up and do it every day. I mean, if every if every hunt was a banger and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I'm sure a lot of us wouldn't wouldn't get up every day to do it. Yeah, you would, the, the excitement definitely definitely wouldn't be there. Um, uh -huh. that, that's for sure. Um, boys, let's do a quick uh, round of table for you to to get any last words into Sean, and then we'll give it to uh, him for final words. Phil, Sean, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here and, and on here and uh, be able to talk to you. You know, even though you're friends with Jordan Stone, we won't hold that against you. Uh, he's tall. he was trying to get me to say something bad about brown dogs the whole time, and I just went good. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was talking. I was talking to Jordan earlier, and yeah, he, he, I know he was trying to have, you know throw something up his sleeve. But Make the uh, brown dogs matter. I said, yes, they do. Like I say, Sean, anybody can run a black dog. <laughs> It takes a special kind of stupid to try to do it with a brown one. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, pretty is as pretty does. It doesn't matter what color they are. If they got a bird in their mouth, they all look good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark. Good to meet you, Sean. Uh, I'm not as versed in, uh, in your exploits as the boys are, but uh, I do know of you and, and some of the things you've been doing. So it's been a good conversation. Uh, good to hear your point of view on some things that are similar to ours, especially the 
dogs breaking and whatnot. I mean, I'm not a dog owner myself, but I really don't like dogs that aren't well trained. I gotta say that. So uh, anyway, it was good talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ryan, oh, cool, cool. Mark, Mark's cats though are the steadiest cats you'll ever see. <laughs> for the record, yeah. But uh, fun, fun fact, Sean. Like uh, I learned how to tune a goose call, shorty goose call. From your RT video many moons ago. So, um, oh my God. Uh, big, yeah, wow. yeah, man. A- yeah, big, big, big thanks for you on that. Um, yeah, it was, it was for me personally, it was an absolute uh, treat to have you on. Great, awesome, meet you and chat with you. And, and uh, we'd, yeah, for sure, we'd love to have you on again. Be, yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Sean, buddy, any last words? Man, I'm good. Um, I appreciate coming on here. I like talking dogs and, waterfowl and i can do it all the time anytime so appreciate it uh, and and we appreciate we, we appreciate you coming on and listen oh hey like, thank you for letting us come to canada and i wish you guys could come here <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. yeah that that's that's a that's a sore topic for us right now we were supposed to be in maryland in october hunting with jeff Coates, and, and we can't pull that off and phil and i were supposed to be in missouri last year um hunting and and that guard is my disneyland <laughs> there you go yeah. um sean buddy again well, stop it to shop. Well, oh yeah yeah well, i think that that's that's on i i would think anybody that that comes into arkansas has got to stop by the shop right like that that's got to oh, be yeah. that's got the nation stop you've got to stop at max and we're right next yeah. door um it's it's one we've since the fire we built a building back and it's it's a true destination place it's one of those deals where you you go in and you just start looking around and you see stuff and then you kind of look around and then you see more stuff and more stuff we've got the museum uh we've got the flying duck brewery we've got mm. the jay stevens shop where you can actually see him watch him work turning calls um you can test test run calls do i mean it's just it's, it's cool. I mean, and if you're a waterfowler hunter, I mean, back in the day, we used to get the herders catalog and that was like the Bible when it would come out. Then the Cabela's waterfowl. And, and now it's, you know, the max, uh, the max prairie wings and, and right next door, we've, we've got that shop right there. So it's, it's something to see and do. That's for sure. Especially if you're a waterfowler. Yeah. 100%. Everybody, this, uh, again, and we've said it on this show um, 65 times. Um, we're not experts. We're not professionals. We're a group of friends that love one another's company. And we love bringing on um, who we consider um, waterfowl royalty experts, pros, even though they they say that they're not. But in our opinion, they are. So um, thanks again, Sean Stahl, for coming on the show. It was awesome. I, I can't wait to, to, to keep following you and seeing everything that's happening with the fall. I know, I know you're super busy uh, and I know you've got a lot of hunting on the go. So I'm looking forward to watching you and living vicariously through you, especially when you're out West, um, because I need to get back out there again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Union 0430. Thanks for watching. Big love.